Oh, hey, everybody. Sorry I didn't see you there. I must have just got caught dancing naked in the mirror. What up, everybody? Welcome to another jam-packed edition of 2, 5, and 10. Benny, what up? The dog days of the hockey world. I know summer just kind of kicked off for you guys out on the East Coast, but free agency madness has kind of slowed down. Uh, Some RFA is still unsigned, but now we're into the thick of it. Now into the thick of it, the dog days of summer. Dude, I got to be honest, it's only the second week in July, but it is hot and sticky out here. It's swampy, it's soupy. Yuck. Yeah, good, good case of swamp ass when you play some outside puck. Well, speaking of outside puck, I guess we have to get right into it. Um, on Saturday afternoon, we had the Ryan Chasen Memorial Street Hockey Tournament. Back-to-back championship runner-ups, I may add. Um did not get the job done again this year. But besides that, I got to see all the old boys from the neighborhood. It was great seeing Jakey and Fant and Cheek and Shane and all the boys. And on top of it, I, I was out there. They were on the green team. I was on the blue team. But while I was playing, I got some chirps. I see you two, five and ten. I see you. So um, the, the podcast is at least in the old neighborhood. So we appreciate the uh, listen from the boys. Yeah, that's how uh, the bar stool empire started, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Portnoy is always going with something, so I, who knows how that even started? Brick by brick. <laughs> yeah, he was out of his mind back in the day. Um, but yeah, so summer has really slowed down the hockey world. A lot of people, once July second hit, kind of shut down for the summer in terms of not only GMs and agents, but a lot of the reporters are taking their summer vacations. Uh, so in the last, I would say, 10 to 14 days since our last uh, recording on July 4th, so yeah, about 11 days, uh, there have only been a few notable signings. Uh, we can run through them really quick and just give some thoughts. Uh, Michael Furland signed with Vancouver for four years, $3.5 million. Ryan Dezingle signed with Carolina, two years, $3.35 million. Uh, and Marcus Johansson uh Two years, four and a half million per with Buffalo. At least for upfront, what do you think of those unrestricted free agent signings so far? Upfront, I would say I thought Johansson was going to look a little bit longer of a term somewhere. And I mean, I think Buffalo kind of hit it right on the head with this one with two years. I figured he would be in that ballpark about four and a half million. He had a really good showing with us when he came over. The only thing with me is. He did a phenomenal job for us in a bottom six role. It seemed like he was on that third line the whole time he was here, and him and Coyle blended really well. Going to Buffalo, I think they're going to rely on him on the other end for top six minutes. And I I honestly hope for him and for Buffalo that he has something left in the tank and will be able to contribute. I just don't know if he has any top six left in him. I think... 
that third line role was perfect for him. Maybe a hair of an overpay, but the crazy thing to me was he was still on the market in those second, third, and fourth days. So it wasn't like Buffalo had a rush to make this signing or anything like that. So maybe they should have taken another day, a couple more hours, but I also do know that Johansson had a lot of interest from a lot of other places, so maybe they just figured we'll give him our best and final, and he ended up there. Yeah, especially considering Buffalo really isn't known as a market that a lot of guys willingly go to in free agency. So I think once they realized that Johansson had legitimate interest in signing it, they just had to make the move and go for it. Uh, I think they're kind of hoping that he can reignite his top six production that he kind of showed off in Washington before he moved on to New Jersey and, and started dealing with injuries. I think those injuries in New Jersey definitely slowed him down. So I think they're hoping uh, somewhere back to full health, he's finally put the injuries behind him. He can contribute at least in a second-line role with somebody like Middlestat. So uh, the interesting part for me is, here's my question. Would you take the teams out of it, the specific teams, like you as a GM, would you rather sign Marcus Johansson for two years at $4.5 million a year or Matt Zuccarello for $4.5 million a year but for four years? Oh, just with age, that's tough. Um, For the two years, I think you get it right with Johansson. And I really like Zuccarello as a player. I just don't know how he's going to hold up after four years. He he seemed to have a lot of injuries lately, and, and none due to his own doing, not nagging. It seems like the guy goes out, he blocks a shot, he breaks a leg. You know, the, the skull fracture in New York. Like, he just has to uh, just a way of getting hurt. In. Yeah, I actually made a mistake. I had his contract with the Rangers on my head. That's how Rangers Central got banned. He's that was his last contract with the Rangers. He signed with Minnesota for five years, thirty million dollars, so six million dollars a year. Yeah, no. Um, I just think over the whole term of that, on the back end, you're going to get a really defeated and beat up Matt Zuccarello. I would rather just take yeah. Johansson for two. Yeah, so I think Buffalo made the right choice. So this is. Another example of why a team like Minnesota finds themselves in salary cap hell summer after summer and signing and stuff with guys who are overpaid either in term or in uh, cap pit for guys in their mid-30s. So then they bring in a guy like Zuccarello for five years, $30 million. And then, what do you say, year three is when they're first going to start regretting that deal? I would say probably year four. Four and five, they'll regret. I think those were probably just too much on the other end. Uh, the Furland signing, what was interesting to me was he's a nice player. Uh, he can play physical. He can uh, help with your forecheck, be a big body in front. He's really good at playing with uh, more talented line mates. Didn't really take off as much in Carolina as I think a lot of us thought he would. But he definitely has the potential to give you second, third line minutes and be a, a two-way guy. He signs in Vancouver for four years, $3.5 million, to effectively replace and outproduce Brandon Tanev, who signed with Pittsburgh for $4.5 million, but for, what was it, six years? Yeah, six. So I don't know what Pittsburgh was doing with that deal. If the same cap hit, when did they— have rather brought in a guy like Furland? I mean, you'd think. Uh, 
big kudos to Jim Benning up there. He's kind of switching that around. When you look at that lineup now coming from the top, I know Louis Erickson hasn't had the last two years that they thought he would. But Louis Erickson, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Brandon Sutter, Tanner Pearson. Now you got Ferland, you got Borchi, you got Roussel. I think they could make some noise. You still got Pedersen. I think there's a chance that not this year. It's always so hard to be so optimistic for him. Yeah, like you look at it, you got you got to be so optimistic. But it's like you got Pedersen, you got Brock Bosser, like Vertanen. Yeah, JT Miller. Yeah, like you almost feel like that lineup is almost completely there. And is it unfortunate that they're just that far away? Yeah, absolutely. You look at the back end, though, they, they do have Jacob Markstrom in net. They have Thatcher Demko, who I th- I think they thought he was going to blossom into something much better, and I did too. He was a very highly touted prospect, and things just haven't completely gone there yet, but he's still only 23, so there's yeah. still a chance that within the next two years he could come into something before he hits restricted free agency, so we'll see what happens with that. They, yeah, I think they've had a solid summer outside of giving up a first-round pick to Tampa to take on J.T. Miller's full contract. But outside of that, yeah, they're a young team. I think if they can figure out their goaltending and their uh, defense prospects that they have recently drafted are able to start contributing uh, at the NHL level, they're going to be a team kind of like Arizona uh, that's going to start making a way up the uh, Pacific Division. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, Dezingle, like I said, is on Carolina. I don't know if that means Justin Miller is going to face it. Uh, Justin Williams is going to face a take-it-or-leave-it one-year offer from Carolina to return because if that's the case, he's kind of getting squeezed out of other opportunities around the league. So that's going to be interesting if they bring him back. I was surprised with the Dezingle deal that it was only for two years. He's a really young kid. I thought he probably would have went somewhere for longer. Granted, not all that money and all that much money, only 6.75 over the two years. Maybe a little prove-it deal to himself to go into unrestricted free agency. I don't know, man. I, it's strange because for a younger guy like Dezingle, I mean, I didn't see him going to Carolina. And... I'm sure payment-wise, he was probably looking at that same ballpark around the league. So mm. for him to go there, I mean, maybe he just wants to be a part of the post-game celebration and be with the boys. <sighs> like, I, I don't know what it is, but... I wonder if it was his lack of production after the trade to Columbus. He really just cratered. Yeah, and I mean, they went all in at the deadline. And maybe it's good, though, too, for him to finally be able to extend his wings away from Matt Duchesne. And I'm not saying Duchesne's a poison in any way. I'm just saying that it seems like everything he's done, it's been around Matt Duchesne. So maybe it's good for him to finally get his own space, kind of come into his own person a little bit and see what he's able to produce without him. Yeah. Um, And then the other deals that have gone down, uh, mostly RFAs, Jordan Bennington, Stanley Cup champion, started last year at most third on a depth chart in St. Louis, signs a two-year $4.4 $4.4 million per year contract. Pretty nice payday for a kid who was struggling or at least trying to just fight for a backup spot in St. Louis last September. Um, Kerfoot signs after the trade with Toronto, four years, $3.5 million a year. Cody Cece, one of the worst defensemen in the league, and I will say that every time I say his name. 
signs for four and a half million dollars for one year. And then the RFA deal that left me stunned was that Dougie Wilson pulled it off again. He got LeBanc to sign a one-year, $1 million contract as a guy who's coming off a 50-point season when I saw every contract service out there, all these national hockey writers were pegging for about two years, three to three and a half million dollars a year. So whatever Wilson has out here in San Jose that convinces guys to sign under market deals long term or just to help out the team, I'm sure the rest of the league would love to have some of it. Yeah, I mean, one year, one million. That's all LeBanc got. I I agree with you. I believe everybody was shocked with that. There was no question his playoff performance, his performance completely just last year. Yeah, everyone thought he was going to be in for a major payday. One downfall of him hitting restricted free agency when he did was he still hadn't played as many games to get arbitration rights. Yeah. So I wonder if, I don't want to say Doug Wilson kind of pushed him into a corner a little bit because he didn't have the chance to do that. But did he? Like, you know, it's hard to say whether yes, whether no. With it, whether they already had a conversation that maybe there's already extension in place and when once they're able to sign it this season, they can sign it and it'll be a long-term extension. This Eric Carlson deal is killing them already. Yeah. Killing them. They had to let Pavelski go because of it. They had to let Pavelski go. I mean, 11-5, like, I don't know why he couldn't get a matching deal with Brent Burns. I understand Burns and signed his contract at a different time. And, you know, the price has only gone up, but I hope on the other end, LeBanc gets taken care of here. Like, I hope it's just, he wants one year approve it deal. Cause he goes back to being restricted. He doesn't go unrestricted after this. So then they have his rights again. He would be eligible for arbitration though. So I don't know if Dougie Wilson wants to go that route with the points he can put up. I hope he's taken care of, man. Like, this kid is a really good kid, really great player. I hope it all works out both ways. Yeah, because under the current collective bargaining agreement, players under contract during the season can sign an extension beginning January 1st, and that will start counting the following season in terms of their new contract cap hit. So the Rangers did that with Lundqvist uh, back in the day. So I can see them doing that one, just kind of like January, February rolls around. They hammer out a deal, but I'm kind of looking at it as it works out for San Jose because of their current cap crunch, but they might be saving themselves now but doing longer-term damage because, yeah, you got him for $1 million this year, but what happens if he comes back out and has another 50-point season and now he has arbitration? You're going to be paying him at least $4 million, $4.5 million, Oh, easy. easy, easy. If it's a short-term deal, even more if it's a long-term deal, and I don't know if they can afford that. So no, they can't afford it. So yeah, so they're keeping the, the gang together for one more year with this deal, but long-term it may not be beneficial. And for LeBanc, he's banking on himself. Like, okay, I'll help the team out. I'll keep myself in position to play with good line mates and put up more points and be arbitration eligible, and then I'm going to cash the fuck in. What did you think about the Jordan Bennington deal? That was going to be a hard one because there's not much precedent in terms of 
RFA goaltenders who have basically one year of experience, but that one year was turning a franchise around and then winning the Stanley Cup. So I feel like St. Louis is kind of caught in between of what happened. Do we want to sign him long-term for a lower cap hit? And the risk there is he was a one-year wonder like Kerry and Boston back in the day. Or do we sign him short-term for a little bit more of a cap hit and then he turns out to be the real deal and then we're going to have to pay him $10 million a year starting two summers from now because of the Bobrovsky deal. So um, I think they were kind of stuck and I think this was the best solution they can come up with. I have no idea if it's an overpayment or not in terms of the cap hit because I can't think of a goalie who hit restricted free agency after one full pro season, essentially, and then they want to stand like up. I'm with you on that end. I don't know whether it's good or bad, but I think from a team standpoint, if worst comes to worst and say he was just lightning in a bottle and he sucks this year and next year, then you're done. Complete UFA. So I don't think it's an overpay, especially if he can come out and play the way he did last year. One interesting fact, too, is Jake Allen, the backup, currently at 4-3-5. Bennington comes in at 4-4, but both are unrestricted in two seasons. So I think for them, they better hope there's something coming down the pipeline because if they're going to give Bennington a huge contract and big money, there is no way they can bring or have re-sign Allen at that rate. There's no way. I don't think they really give much of a shit about Jake Allen at this point. He seems like a good guy in the locker room, but if push comes to shove, they'll easily kick him out the door to be able to keep Bennington long-term if he proves out to be the real deal. Oh, no question. I'm just saying that on the other end, it's... A, they wouldn't pay him four three five, but if they bring somebody in at that same rate and they're paying Bennington north of seven or eight, like that that's ugly for two goalies. Yeah, you gotta try and do the Montreal or Rangers situation where you pay your franchise guy eight plus million dollars a year and then you kinda cycle through uh pre arbitration eligible young goalies and then hope to get like a solid year or two out of them as a low usage backup and then flip them for like a draft pick when they hit arbitration. Absolutely. Um, the other deal, your boys up in Montreal finally got their left hand shot, I guess top four, top five defensemen, three years, three and a half million dollars. Any uh, thoughts on uh, that deal? I think for them, it's a great deal. Um, you look at their back end now, if Shea Weber can actually be healthy, he'll be in the lineup. You got Mike Riley, you got Jeff Petrie, you got Victor Mete, who they're very high on, and if he's able to come in and he's able to move some pucks, I think he's going to be great for them. You end up throwing Chariot in there. They have Carl Osner back there. I think, I don't want to say it completely solidifies their defense, but I think it definitely makes them a lot stronger. Yeah, I mean, Osner is the all-time bust of a contract, but... They're moving in the right direction. It all depends on Weber, like you said, because if Weber is injury-prone or he just misses significant time again, I don't think it's going to matter much, especially with the way the division is shaping up with Florida and Buffalo kind of on their way up after a nice summer. Boston's Boston and Tampa Bay is still the most talented team possibly in the entire league. Yeah, and one other trade that had happened was Buffalo and Chicago switch first round picks with the Blackhawks acquiring Alexander Nylander and then the Buffalo Sabres acquiring in a right shot, right-handed defenseman in Henry, I believe you say it, 
Jokiharu. I, I am awful at those Finnish, like Swedish, I can't even do them. Uh, I was surprised that Chicago gave up on this kid so quick. He is a very sturdy guy. People kill for right-handed shot defensemen, but then on top of it, if they can move the puck, and this kid does it, maybe they saw something that we didn't, so they were trying to unload him when they could, but I think currently Buffalo wins that deal. Yeah, Buffalo, at least in the short term, wins the deal. I don't think Chicago necessarily gave up on him, and I think it was more so that they've drafted a lot of defensemen in the last two to three years that are now pushing for ice time in Chicago, and they feel like they can adequately replace him while adding a piece who, who's been a significant disappointment both in Buffalo and in AA uh, for the Sabres organization, but... I think they're trying to hit lightning again, and just after or the sorry, just after the Dylan Schoen deal, where he came over from Arizona, and then Colleton and the coaching staff basically turned him into the second line center that he was drafted to be for the Coyotes. So I think they're hoping to be able to put a guy like Nylander in that top nine to start the year and see what happens. But if he busts out, then they basically gave up a 22, 23 year old right hand shot two way defenseman. For nothing, so it's a big risk. It's a bigger risk for Chicago, but I think if both of these players hit their max potential, Nylander has a higher potential for being like a top six sniper. Well, yeah, I mean, you throw him around Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taze, and he can pick something up from there. That, yeah, that's a pretty good day at the office. Yeah, so I think both teams just kind of dealt in their strong suits on the back end and up front, and trying to do a change of scenery trade. But uh, yeah, Buffalo. Gets the more sure thing. Chicago gets the bigger potential. I like it. Um, kind of continuing the offseason talk here. We, we've touched about on it here and there in the last episode or two, but both of our teams, the Bruins and the Rangers, are essentially done with free agency, at least major moves, but they're kind of hitting their cap wall here the Bruins more so than the Rangers. And I figured we could spend a few minutes just kind of going through what the situation is for each team. And if you obviously being a GM of the Bruins and me for the Rangers, what are two or three moves that you would make that would still help the team, but would kind of ease that cap burden a little bit? All right. I mean, obviously anybody that listens here knows that the Bruins need to sign Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. They just re-signed Danton Heinen and a little bit of an overpay in my mind, especially when they knew that they were up against the cap at 2.8 a year. I'd say he's probably about two. Some people say he's not worth that. I know he's very quiet and during the postseason, he kind of completely fell off the map at times. But when Bergeron was hurt this year, he was kind of able to jump in on that line and kind of help out. I think he does have some sort of value, but the only problem is this. The Bruins currently only have about $7.35 million in cap space to sign both of their defensemen. That is not enough, not, not even close to being enough. And obviously there now needs to be some sort of trade scenario. There, there's no way that this works without a trade. I know everyone always points to Tory Krug because he's on the last year of his deal, 
currently at 5.25. I'm sure plenty of teams in the NHL would be more than willing to take Tory Krug on. A couple of issues right here are, yet again, doesn't need to be said, the David back is $6 million a year for sitting on your bench. There is currently a rumor going around. The New Jersey Devils are talks with the Boston Bruins to acquire David Backus and take the contract. Obviously, there's more to it because you guys would probably have to give up a first rounder at least. We have it's either a first rounder or they're looking at a prospect that's very highly touted. And yeah, I I don't know whether that's good or bad. When you look at other things, people talk about trading David Krejci. That's a great idea. I, I do agree. He's now on the downswing, getting paid the most on the team at 7.25. With that, who's going to be your number two center? Yeah, that's the big thing. Like, So obviously, if you get rid of him, you need to bring somebody back that can fill that hole. You look down the lineup. Is there certain pieces you can push away? Hmm, let's see. John Moore for that awful contract, 2.75 a year. You can get him off the books. We only have Kevin Miller Kevin Miller for one more year at 2.5. I like Millsy, but I do think that this is a business. We can see Connor Clifton now sliding in there. This is going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. You look at it on the other end, too, and next season, Jake DeBrusque is up in restrictive free agency. So you, you're going to have to pay people here. And... What would you say is fair market value for Charlie McAvoy? Like, what's the number you're looking at? Because I think eight million, eight and eight, sixty-four is sufficient. The rumors already came out that during the season he said no to eight years, eight million, eight million a year. Are you asking my opinion, or is that just tossing out as a hypothetical? Well, I'm asking your opinion, but I'm just saying that is the rumor that already during the season, eight years, eight million dollars a year. He and his camp said no, whether they didn't want to negotiate during the season or whatever it then turned into. Do you think eight, eight and eight is fair or do you think you pay more? What if he comes to you and he says, I want 10 a year? OK, so here's the deal. He's not worth eight million dollars right now, in my opinion. Like he's a good young defenseman. Is he one of the best defensemen in the entire league? No. Should he be paid like that? As a, How old is he at this point? 21 years old, just turned 21. Yeah. Has he done enough to be in a, in a rarefied air of Drew Doughty, Brent Burns, those guys? Is he, does he have immense potential? You bet your ass. And if he's going to sign for eight years, you're going to have to pay a higher cap hit just because you're buying out his free agency year. So I get that. And he might be looking at that as going, well, if you're buying out my free agency years, you look at a guy like Carlson, who just got 11 and a half. I would probably be able to sign at a tw- as a 25-year-old unrestricted free agent for $10, $11 million a year if I hit my potential. So I feel like if you're to Boston, you have to go for a short-term deal here just because of the cap situation you're in, and that would lower his cap hit. If he, wants an eight, if he doesn't want to sign short-term, like if he doesn't want to take a bridge deal for two years or three years for five to seven million dollars a year and then get paid out once that contract is up to help the team and he's stuck on that i want a seven eight year deal i want eight nine ten million dollars a year i move him 
And I know Boston fans probably think that's crazy, but you can't afford that. You can't have a 21-year-old kid who, in my view, hasn't earned it yet, driving the cap situation for almost the next decade based on potential. So if he's stuck on that $10 million a year and he's not coming down, he doesn't want to sign a two-, three-year bridge deal, I kind of test out the market here and see if he can get a haul of picks, if he can get a good, young, right-hand shot defenseman that's on his entry-level contract and slide him into the top four. I think that's like, if you get pushed in that corner, maybe that's an error. I mean, if he wants 8-8, and I give him 8-8. and I I don't fuss, I don't push. But if he already said no to that, like w- what's the cutoff point? Like yeah, are are we gonna start ten years, like ten million eight years? Like is that what it's gonna be? Personally, I'd probably pay him that. I'd probably give him ten. Okay, so but if you give him it. ten, that's it. Because this is the other thing too is when people come to Boston. And whether it's a New England thing, a Boston thing, whatever, like Patrice Bergeron, who is going to be in the rafters one day, possibly the Hockey Hall of Fame, only makes 6.875. That's it. Brad Marchand, 6.125. David Pasternak, 6.6, the whole way through. People don't get overpaid here. They're like th- This isn't that place. So with that, I just don't know if they stick to their guns here. And... This would be the other thing, at least for me. End of this year, right? If you keep Tory Krug and you don't deal him, I do think Tory Krug would stay here if you paid him two million more a year. If you if you offered Tory Krug another five, six years, seven point two five times seven. No, I'd say seven. He would stay. Yeah. So do you now have to set that precedent for McAvoy? Like and that's just what I don't know. Because I think, if he cashes in for 10 or at least 8, that's minimum what Tory Krug's going for. Minimum. Yeah, so the way, if I'm the Bruins management team, I would be looking at it as if he's, we're getting to end of July here. Like, you can't have this turn into an August situation where now everybody's coming back to Boston for training camp, even if it's unofficial and he's still unsigned. Um, you need some type of certainty going into camp here. And you don't definitely don't want another William Nylander situation in Boston when it comes to McAvoy. So if he's sticking to his guns that he wants $10 million a year for eight years, that would be kind of sacrificing the culture that the Bruins have spent a decade developing where guys just want to win a Stanley Cup at all costs and they're willing to leave a little bit on the table to keep the rest of the team intact. And if he hasn't bought into that culture and if he's just looking out for himself with the money— I don't think he fits into the culture. And that's a little, a little bit of projecting on my part because obviously neither of us are close to McAvoy. I know what his motivations are. But if you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of the team culture to keep a guy like McAvoy and then you sign him for $10 million a year, great. Now you have negative $4 million in cap space just for this summer. And then next summer, like you said, you need to sign DeBrusque. So are you willing to give up Krug and DeBrusque for Charlie McAvoy? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that they're gonna have to cross that path at some I'm, point. I was shocked they didn't buy back his out and just save almost four point seven five million dollars in the cap just to get rid of it. No, we wouldn't even have saved that. 
we only would have saved 1.5. If we bought them out at this point, we would be 10 and a half on the cap uh. out of the 12. So, so they, they missed the window to buy them out. And then the other thing is this. Don Sweeney has already had a holdout battle with David Pasternak. Yeah. And then Pasternak ended up signing for the 6.66. And at that point, everyone thought it was high. And now everyone's saying, what a great deal. So I just don't know what it's going to end up coming to. It's going to be a little scary. And then we haven't even touched on Carlo yet as to what we think he should be getting. So, yeah, so let, let's just get to the heart of that. If you're Carlo's agent and you're trying to be fair, like you're not trying to like play the negotiating game, what would be your the term and cap it that you'd be willing to sign for if Boston offered it? Long term or bridge? At this point, I think it would be a bridge deal because they can't afford to do long term with both. At this point, I would say two years for a year. And that's, see where I think we that's end pretty up. Fair. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not. If we're playing fair market value, that's where I think Brandon Carlo's at. Two okay. years, four a year, and then if he can turn into a shutdown defenseman over the next two years, right up to six, if not seven. But okay, so let's, get let's there say first. he signs for four. You agree to give McAvoy ten. That's fourteen million dollars. You got to make up eight million dollars in cap space before September starts. And, and this is the problem. We, we've talked about it before. Now yeah. people know you have to unload. People now know this. So, hey, if I call you, do you want David Backus? Well, it's going to cost you David Backus a pick. Hmm. Let's see who else we like on that route. That Matt Grizzlick's pretty good. Might cost you him, too. Like, uh, But, yeah. no, I mean, it's just one of those things where now you have to pay to unload it. And I got to say, this the Bruins having a contender, a legitimate contender for – 10 years now essentially but this is why it's so difficult to keep it going for so long you see san jose kind of running into the same issue where they've gotten plenty of team-friendly deals to keep their window of contention open but eventually you're going to run into a, a player or two that just wants their fair market value and it's going to throw a wrench into everything and it's going to cost you a guy like pravelski or it's going to cost you a guy like tory krug to be able to keep that premier talent that you want to keep but it comes at the expense of the culture and somebody else on the roster. It's, ugh, Don Sweeney has his hands full with that one. Well, how about, so let's say you trade Bacchus, get rid of his full cap hits. That's $6 million right there, right? Mm-hmm. So now you need another, two and, let's say, two two $2.5 million. That's John Moore? Yeah. I, I don't even know why they signed him for that long for it. And I know... <laughs> He played good in the playoffs when he was inserted into the lineup and people were hurt. But when we signed him, like he still has four years on the books at 2.75 and he's 28. And he's a seventh defenseman. Like, I don't know why they gave him that contract. I don't know. Last summer when that happened, I was like, what? Like, why? Why? And yeah, I remember I texted you. I was like, former Ranger John Moore just stole money from you, boys. Yeah, I just, I don't get it, man. Uh, so yeah, so definitely a sticky situation of Boston, not only for the summer, but next summer as well, because like you said, DeBrusque is a restricted free agent, Krug is an unrestricted free agent, and then, you know, Grizzly's going to be needing a new deal too. Yeah, he's That's restricted at the end of next summer, yep. So pretty, just, if they somehow fit in this core, this group of guys for one more year, I think this is the last year where everybody's together in Boston. 
yeah, I have to agree. So, someone's going to have to go because guys are going to need to get paid, and th- there's just well, not what, enough money. Tuca's cap hit. <laughs> Tuca is at seven for this season, next season, and then unrestricted. Well, you know, seven four that almost makes up for all the money you need. I mean, <laughs> listen, hold on. I would not be opposed, and but people can say whatever they want. I've never been a big Tuca guy. I know this postseason he was phenomenal ever since his personal leave of absence. He has came back and he has been lights out. If the right deal came across to trade Tuka Rask, I would. I mean, Yaroslav Halak last year for us played half decent, and mind you, his cap hit is only 2.75. If we yeah. could get another goalie for $3 million, well, I, even I, less, Cam Ward's still out there. I know he hasn't been a Cam Ward of old, but he can give you 15, 20 games. Yeah, but another thing, too, uh, uh, kind of a shocker move. No one really saw it happening. The Bruins went and they signed Mac, Maxime Legacy this summer. So oh, yeah. maybe there is a chance that some people are going to be moved, and maybe it is Tuca. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that would shock the Boston sports scene if Tuca got moved. <laughs> But, but at the same time, there. you got to strike when the iron's hot. Like his yeah. value right now is the highest it'll ever be. Yep. I don't and know, that's, that's just good asset management. So we'll see what happens in Boston this summer with McAvoy and Carlo and any other moves to fit them in. In New York, the cap situation is kind of the same. Uh, we have about $8 million in cap space. We have four restricted free agents. Two of them have arbitration Rights, a hearings are scheduled, I think the same day, July 23rd, I think, uh, for Pavel Buchnevich and Jacob Truba. Uh, Brendan Lemieux and Tony D'Angelo are the other restricted free agents that the Rangers need to sign. Um, so the situation is kind of a little bit more cut and dry in New York because there are obvious guys that the Rangers can move to create the cap space. Let me start off with the contracts that I think those four guys should be offered or the max that I would have given if I was the Rangers for Jacob Truba, He's a 25 year old top pairing, right hand shot defenseman. I still think he has some offensive potential. that's untapped because he was blocked by Bufflin on a power play in Winnipeg. Apparently the Rangers are negotiating a seven year, uh, $49 million a year contract could be a little bit higher, like seven, five a year. I think that is more than fair for a guy like Truba. So that, but that basically eats up the remaining remaining cap space for New York, and they still need to sign the other three guys. And you love Brendan Lemieux. Oh, I love Lemieux, man. But it, the good thing is he's not arbitration eligible, and there's plenty of precedent of bottom six wingers signing two, three-year deals for under $2 million a year, um, especially in New York, Jesper Faust. Uh, he had a deal paying on $1.9 million a year, so I think the Rangers can kind of base it off of that. If they can get him in, I think... This year is going to be a big year for him. I think if they can get him in for a two, three-year deal, preferably three years, around $1.8 to $2 million for those three years, and get him at that value before he actually takes off in terms of 15, 20 goals two-way play, that would be fantastic. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, another guy that doesn't have arbitration rights and just started finding his footing this past season, so he doesn't have a long track record as well. I think a bridge deal for him because... I'm still a little leery of his off-the-ice personality issues. He ran into issues with David Quinn twice, where Quinn benched him for the remainder of the game because D'Angelo kind of mouthed off to the coaching staff. Um, so I think a strict two-year bridge deal with him for 
about three two five three five a year is ideal for him. And then if he continues to blossom, he's still only 24, 25 years old. You give him that more of a long-term, higher cap hit deal two summers from now. Buchnevich, he's tricky. He's like D'Angelo. He had a really slow start to the year. He looked disengaged. And then after a few benchings, he came back on strong for the remainder of the year, finished, I think he had 20 goals again. I I still don't know if he's in the Rangers' long-term plans, uh, especially with uh Kako and Kravtsov on the right side. Yeah, still have Kreider that I hope they sign long-term. They have guys like Lemieux uh, that are coming for top six minutes. So I think he gets a strict bridge year too, two years, probably around $4 million, $4.25 million a year. So all that money being laid out means the Rangers need to create cap space. And Your boy. The buyout, yeah, the, the buyout period for Rangers has reopened because we have arbitration-eligible players. So the Rangers can, can uh, use the buyout period once again. I think the easiest decision is to buy up Brendan Smith. He has no trade value at all. So if you do try and trade him, you're going to be eating most of his contract anyway or giving up draft picks or good young prospects to do so. If the Rangers buy him out, they will save $3.379 million on a cap hit for this coming season. So that definitely helps. That basically fits in both D'Angelo and most of Lemieux's contract. The other guy that should probably be on the move is Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, the Rangers are kind of loaded on a right side on defense now with D'Angelo, Adam Fox, and Jacob Truba. So there's not really a spot for Shattenkirk at this point. If they want, they can buy up both of those guys if they wanted to. So the easiest course of action is to buy out Shattenkirk as well. That would save the Rangers $5.1 million in a cap hit this year. That basically takes care of their cap issues. Or they can just trade him and eat half of his cap save a little less money, but not have the cap penalties four years down the road. Um, so I think those two moves right there kind of settle their cap situation. It's going to be still a little bit tight, but it's going to be interesting to see if once they get the Truba situation under, it's kind of business as usual with the other guys. Truba is going to be the tricky one, especially with his negotiating history in Winnipeg. But the big issue here is I'm scared the Rangers are going to trade Kreider to create room because he's coming up for an unrestricted free agency next summer. He's in at $4.65 million on a cap at this coming season. If he wants to sign long-term, what, the Rangers are going to have to give him $6.757 million a year for five or six years. I don't know if the Rangers feel comfortable doing that, but... You can't keep leading talent and then expect to replace it with rookies and continue progressing in a rebuild. So I hope to keep a guy like Kreider. I'd rather buy out Smith, buy out or trade Shattenkirk and move some other minor pieces around. But the Rangers are in a little bit of cap situation, but definitely not as bad as you boys up in Boston. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> ugly up here. Going to be a long summer. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing that I wanted to mention, I forgot to put this on a little agenda for this episode, was how the Luongo retirement helped the Rangers. And it's a little twisted, uh, windy road. But the, when he retired, there was a cap re- recapture penalty issued against both Florida and Vancouver. And apparently Vancouver wasn't expecting him to retire. So because of that, that cap recapture penalty bit into their budget for this, uh, this summer. So the help with that situation 
the Canucks bought out Ryan Spooner. But when Spooner was traded by the Rangers to Edmonton, the Rangers retained $900,000 of his salary. So the rain, when the Canucks bought him out, that cap hit, instead of the Rangers having to pay nine hundred k on a cap for this coming season, was reduced to 300000 And that extra 600000 went to Artemi Panarin to get him for $11.6 million. So in a way, Roberto Luongo retiring to create cap space for the Panthers to sign Panarin and Bobrovsky allowed the Rangers to sign Panarin. Ironic how it all works out, huh? <laughs> so I know that's a lot of numbers and CBA jargon to get tossed around, but when I read that, I think it was the Vancouver Sun, I kind of bookmarked that. I was like, oh, that's, I think that's something a little interesting to bring up for the for the pod. Well, it's crazy, too, because, like you said, Vancouver wasn't expecting it, and they get hit for three a year for the next three years. <laughs> and they're like, God, at least every building has a little bit of cap room. Oh, lucky for them. <laughs> um, I guess the last thing uh, we wanted to talk about in this episode, I know uh, – Last season's kind of behind us now. We're talking about upcome this offseason plans and what our rosters are going to look like around the league starting in September and October for the 2019-2020 season. But I wanted to revisit our second ever episode. It was the first week of the regular season this past season. And we want, instead of going on a full you know, divisional preview and predictions and playoff predictions and everything else. We just went short and sweet. We went our pick to come out of the West, our pick to come out of the East, our Stanley Cup final prediction, and then we each gave a sleeper team for the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. And I just wanted to mention that now, just have like a quick little look back and I wanted to get your thoughts. I didn't tell you what the picks were, so your reaction is going to be, I guess, live right now. But you ready for this? I'm ready, big fella. Lay it on me. So we both picked the same teams that come out of the West and the East for the season. We both picked Nashville. We both picked Tampa to come out of each respective conference. You had, uh, we both had Nashville winning the Stanley Cup over Tampa. You had them in six. I had Nashville in seven. But the interesting thing was we kind of hit on in the Western Conference. Who do we think would be there if Nashville wasn't? And oh, St. Louis, yeah. You had Winnipeg and St. Louis, and I had Dallas and St. Louis. So we both ended up looking pretty well there once Nashville screwed us over. Um, in the East, you didn't give a secondary team because you wanted to abstain as a Bruins fan, but I said it was either going to be Boston or Tampa coming out of the Eastern Conference, and I figured you guys would be playing them in the second round, and I said whoever comes out of that matchup is going to the Stanley Cup Finals. So at least I got... Half of that one, right? And then we uh, completely dodged the bullet. And oh my god! <laughs> um, our sleeper teams uh, in the Eastern Conference, we both picked Columbus. And what was interesting was when I gave my reason, I said Panarin's a free agent, Bobrovsky's a free agent. This is before they went out and acquired Matthew Shane and Dzingel, who were both free agents. McQuaid was a free agent, and but I my point was. The Blue Jackets have enough talent and good coaching to be a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference this past season, and there's not many opportunities where you can say that. So I hope I was hoping that they would be bold and make a run this past season, whether that was not training Panarin and Bobrovsky or even adding to it, just because if it works out, you get a banner, and banners fly forever. But if you keep selling, looking at the future, 
your fan base is going to start tuning you guys out, even if you're contending. So in the end, Columbus did go for it. It didn't work out long term. They were able to knock off Tampa. But I still think you and I look at the decision they made as a very gutsy one and a good one for the fan base. Good for the fan base, but not looking too good right now because you got <laughs> nobody and no first round picks. Suck on hey, that. They, they got Gustav Nyquist, baby. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to turn the whole season around. Oh, my God. Uh, the, our Western Conference surprise, uh, you picked uh, Dallas as your surprise, even though you went with Winnipeg or Nashville coming out of the West. And I had Calgary or Dallas as my surprise sleeper team that would make a run either to the Conference Final or to the Stanley Cup. So. Calgary had a fantastic regular season, bombed in the playoffs, and Dallas had a middling regular season and made a run in the playoffs. So opposite ends of the spectrum there. So would you say that with our guesstimates, we were pretty close? I I think we're solid. You know, we didn't get the conference champions and a Stanley Cup champion right, but we had the right idea in terms of which teams are going to make a run. I don't think many people were talking about Dallas or St. Louis making a run. I don't think many people outside of New England thought Boston would make a run to the Stanley Cup final. And we both had Columbus as being a team that could surprise people. And I think they did when they swept Tampa in the first round. I think that shocked the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is there anything else that you want to talk about? I know there are a few notable names that are still out there in free agency. I don't know if you had any thoughts on them or why they're out there. Well, uh, it was going to go in a part of my outro song, but um, yeah, Jake Gardner's still out there. I wonder if people are thinking that $4 million he got paid last year is a little high. Patrick Maroon, the big rig, I mean, had a great season for St. Louis. I just don't know if people want to take him on long term, yeah. so he might just be another one-year, two-year deal. Brian Boyle, big guy, big body, heart and soul, still out there. He should just sit out until a trade deadline because he's going to get traded from whatever team he signs with now anyway. Yeah, well, they're, they're going to trade him from free agency somewhere, so <laughs> he'll sit on that. Uh, one person that really surprised me is Derek Broussard, that no one has still picked him up. Yeah, just take a flyer on him because it's not that long ago where he was a legitimate contributing top nine forward. And the one other guy, obviously a lot of love for this guy, Adam McQuaid's still out there on the free agency market. You want a guy who's just going to go in there fight, block shots, do anything and everything, that's your guy. You need some death in your D, that's your guy. Yeah, I wonder if the concussion problems are kind of making some teams leery of signing up to a deal. He may get like a PTO once camp's open and see if he can make a team there. The other guys are basically just graybeards. You have Justin Williams, Patrick Marlowe, Joe Thorne, Dion Phaneuf. Especially in the case of Phaneuf, more name recognition than star power at this point. But... If Thornton plays, he's only going to play in San Jose. Marlowe, I think he's probably waiting on what happens with Thornton to see if the Sharks want to bring him back or if he's going to move his attention elsewhere around Northern California. And Williams is interesting. Like we said, Dezingo is there now. Do they have room for him in the top six? And if not, do they even want to sign him and put him on a third line? Still a whole lot of summer left, too. I mean, there's still Marner, Rantanen, like oh, yeah. Patrick Line, there are still a whole bunch of RFAs out there, and there are still a whole bunch of teams with money. So I think it's quiet right now, but I think it's going to heat up a little bit. Yeah, I think August is really the dead month in terms of 
GMs look at their roster and go, this is the roster we have because all of the arbitration hearings are settled. All the free agency plans are done. The draft's done. Most of the big trades are done. So I think once August 1st rolls around, it's when teams start shifting from off-season mode to, okay, now we're in 2019-2020 season. So I think these next 10 to 14 days are going to be a little bit more active in terms of trying to find that great value on the market or, or getting your RFA assigned. Going to be interesting. Uh, today in NHL history. Bang, bang. July, yeah, July 15th. Kind of a slow day, even in NHL history. But uh, I got two interesting nuggets for you. In 2005, Mike Babcock begins, begins a new era in hockey town when he's introduced as the coach of the Detroit Red Wings. He replaced Dave Lewis. Uh, Detroit is eliminated in the first round by Babcock's Mighty Ducks in 2003 and in the second round by the Flames in 2004, which led to Dave Lewis's firing. Babcock obviously had a tremendous amount of success in Detroit before moving on to Toronto and kind of revealing himself to be a maniac dinosaur in terms of the hockey world at this point. Um, and in 1994, 31 days after coaching the New York Rangers to their first Stanley Cup championship in 54 years, Mike Keenan, Keenan quits, saying at a news conference in Toronto that he's leaving with four years left in his contract because of breach of contract obligations. He de- dis- declines to discuss the specifics, and then two days later, he's named as coach and GM of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, the Rangers filed a petition for tampering, and what ended up happening was Gary Bettman settled the issue a few days later by approving a trade that sends Peter Nedved to the Rangers for Essa Tikkanen and Doug Lister, allowing Keenan to stay with the Blues. For the record, too, Dave Lewis sucked. Sucked. <laughs> you hated him he, in Boston. I he that. was fucking <laughs> awful. My God. Got any <laughs> shout-outs this week? Yeah, shout-outs this week. We just got back from a wonderful vacay, so shout-out to Big Red for playing that vacay. Shout-out to the children for being great while on vacation. We were at the beach for a couple of days. They were good. I got to shout-out my big puta brother-in-law for watching the dog for us. That was huge. And a big shout-out to the boys down in East Cambridge. Like I said in the beginning, it was great running into them. Appreciate you guys listening. All the best. Anytime you boys want to come on, you know where to find me. Shout-outs from me this week, First Lady, as always. Um, and shout-out to the fact that this coming Friday, I mean, a little personal news, but this coming Friday, I'm going to be getting a tooth pulled because of my lazy ass. So I'm going to be a little bit out of commission. Maybe on Monday I'll be back to full health, being able to talk clearly for next week's episode. But shout out to uh, you know the upcoming pain that I'm going to be experiencing. Uh, dude, I I hate the dentist. Like even <laughs> at 30 years old, I still hate the fucking dentist. Can't do it. Like oh, makes me cringe. I'll, I'll go for a cleaning and I'm like white knuckling the armrest. I'm like <laughs> oh my god, this is awful. Yeah, this whole thing. It, this was the tooth that got jacked up from back in the day playing hockey and I had to get a root canal done on it. And now it's just been so long that the whole post inside the tooth has just basically gave out. So now I just have to get the tooth pulled and then I get implant work done, like all that stuff. So shout out to hockey. Uh, you know what? It's because Carbone kicked your ass at hockey town. That's why. <laughs> I still have that challenge out there if he's listening. 
if you can prove that you can, you know, break my quote unquote collarbone when I separate on my shoulder at home in New York and not even playing hockey, I will give you a million dollars. So the offer is still out there. All right. Well, Benny's throwing out offers to, <laughs> you know, his arch nemesis, but there are still plenty of free agents left. And I bet they're just sitting there at home in the mirror. Like I was when we started this show, just, just singing this. We'll catch y'all next week. <laughs>